Philippians chapter 4, and I have a few verses. These are the last of, of Philippians chapter 4, just the end. This is the closing of the book. And we read from verse 20. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you. Chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. And I preach begotten in my bonds. <sighs> there is a prophetic sound. The Lord woke me up three times last night. I felt the impression of the written word. It's hard to explain. I just want someone to know that in the middle of your storm, there remains a resonant power for you to produce something eternal. We need you, Jesus. Anoint us to hear the word, Lord, I pray. Let the Holy Ghost fall in this house right now. Let the glory of God be made manifest right now among all the people. Let the healing power of the Most High God overshadow us and envelop this place, Lord, so that whatever the infirmity is when they walked in, Lord, it will be free from them. And whatever the situation is, out of that will come great blessing and power and anointing and authority in the Holy Ghost, I pray. Put your Bibles down behind you and would you just offer a praise to God with your heart, your hands, and your mouth, and your voice. Shout with a great voice. Holy God. Amen. Everyone said amen. I'd rather just stand here and speak in tongues over you, but I know you need to hear the word. You just need to know that something's coming out of you right in the middle of what you're in. Something's coming out of that. Don't be surprised what God can produce out of the barrenness that you're in right now. Something's coming out of that. Yeah, that was shy, yeah, but, uh, no 
He didn't need a door to put you in the room and he doesn't need a fountain to put you in the blessing of the mighty river. Yes. Amen. In Jesus' name. Thank you. You may be seated. Uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians will invariably rehearse the overarching subject of joy. Not happiness, but joy. (laughs) Happiness depends on happenings. Happiness is often fleeting like the cool breeze in the morning air, but by noon it's gone. Joy comes from the Lord. It's wonderful to feel happy and be joyful, but when happiness fades into the darkened sky, the joy of the Lord remains. It's a fallacy of the flesh to promote a continual, uninterrupted, happy life. Not only is it a lie, but it is a gimmick making people think that they are not doing well if they're not on an emotional high or that they cannot produce for the kingdom. The word begotten comes to mind. It means to procreate or produce Begotten means that something comes after. It's born out of another. Paul offers joy in his letter to the church in Philippi. Joy in suffering, chapter 1. Joy in serving, chapter 2. Joy in believing, chapter 3. Joy in giving, chapter 4. All of that interlaced with that overarching subject. And while I read the book written to Paul's first established church on the European continent, I am arrested not merely by his profound message, but more so by the context and environment to whom the salutations were were sent. It's, It's who sent them and where they were that gives value to our moment today. There is this Hesitation in me to preach thematically for certain. I'm not concerned about being relevant. I have no desire to be relevant. However, there is a darkness hovering atop our world. It clouds our resolve. Sin and its effects. Signs in the land. The earth itself groaning. The drag of financial pressures. And then our our own family needs. All of that combined has stunted personal spiritual growth and hampered a hundred would-be Holy Ghost revivals. And yet, this darkness is not uncommon to the historical record. Spiritual darkness did not begin this year. The sexual revolution of the 1960s was not new to this planet. Modernism wasn't the original division of home life. Darkness has been a raging force for thousands of years, even still. The recognition of such things, the overt presentations of a corrupt society is both shocking and tragic. Ephesians 5, for it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. And yet, those things which should have been kept in private have been publicly promoted. There is no closet left. 
There are no secrets left to share. Victoria has nothing left to share. The exploitation of all things is a brand used for merchandising of all ages for all things. There are no limitations. The moral compass is far past broken. And where does that leave us? I'm wading into the context of the scripture and it's causing me to renew something in my own spirit. It's Paul's last few lines that have caused me to dismiss any notion of the happy pursuit and embrace with both arms the beauty of the joy of the Lord. And if you so choose to join with me, I need to respond to the last few words of Nehemiah's closing remarks to the people. They had reason to mourn. They had cause to pause. But after the preacher, Ezra, closed the sermon, Nehemiah stepped forward and it looks like he gave the altar call. Are you ready for what he said? He said, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet. And send portions unto them. Here it is, Nehemiah 8.10. Send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto the Lord. Neither be, neither be sorry for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Let me help you with that. You're not starving. You have more than enough. Eat what you want. Drink the sweet water and then give to those who have nothing because today is a holy day. So lift up your head. You're in the house of your holy God. You did not come here empty and you're not going to leave here empty. You do not enter his presence without hope. And if by chance you're feeling weak and low and down and struggling, I have a, I have an answer for you. The joy of the Lord is going to be your strength. Can somebody hear me over there? You don't need to be happy to shout. If nothing is happening for you and you don't feel happy, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The first time the Lord woke me up, this is what he spoke to me and I wrote it down. It's what the Lord told me to tell you. You may not get what you want, but you have who you need. We're not, we're not there yet. You're probably not going to get what you want, but look around and look up and see who you have. It's not what you want and what you get. It's who you have. That's who you need. Everything you ever needed is found in Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. You don't need to be happy. Don't tell me that you're not happy. It's not about being happy. It's about being joyful because you know who your Savior is. Yes. Oh, yes. Paul, the the pastor, are we okay? Is everybody okay? I'm here to comfort the disturbed and to disturb the comfortable. Don't get comfortable. You messed me up. You're in the presence of the Lord Most High God. If a political dignitary walked in, we'd all stand in applause. And sometimes they have to tell them to stop applauding. The Most High God just walked in here to take care of all the mess that you're in. 
has your best interest in mind. (laughs) Okay. I'm interrupting myself. Paul is the pastor. He's going to write, not not as an itinerant preacher without feeling an emotion. He, He knows the people that he's writing to. He knows there are divisions among some of them. Please be together. His admonition seeks reconciliation. It's the heart of the shepherd among the church. It's not a rebuke. It's a desire. He, he makes known the condition of the day. He knows that. Struggles in their own society cause discontented people. So many pressures within and without made its way into the fellowship of the body. The world in which the Bible was written, ladies and gentlemen, was not the one you and I know. We barely see death like they did. We we have a difficult time comprehending the perils of their present situation. Paul understands the gravity of the time and he's promoting unity and peace among the elect of God. He says, and I quote, be of the same mind in the Lord. And then after exhorting the saints as a whole and knowing the troubling atmosphere in which they reside, existing under the heavy hand of the Roman Empire, he'll give us one of the Bible's most significant lines. A thousand people have skimmed its surface, turning the page, ready to advance to the next book. But that single line has weight. It constrains me. It demands my thought. It presses against my mind. It's not found in the larger script or in his instruction. It's his send off, his goodbye. It's his farewell letter to the Philippians. He says, all the saints salute you. They all say hello. They send their warmest greeting, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. (laughs) Paul stands as the ultimate soul winner. Know it. Reaching up to the highest of the social stratum, stooping to the lowest of those rejected. Paul saw the unmeasurable power of God in places long since forgotten. In his own time, he witnessed conversions of Greek philosophers, Pharisees, Roman rulers, magistrates, common Jews, and Gentiles. He preached and produced for the kingdom, begotten. He convinced temple priests and Centurions, he held audiences with kings and their benefactors. Like Philip beginning at the Ethiopians reading, Paul was able to begin wherever they were and then carry them all the way to baptism. The gospel was his mission, the kingdom his plight. His ministry was attended by the supernatural miracles, all of which gave witness to his own word. They gave power to his testimony. Don't make the mistake That his suffering, however, quenched his fire. His passion never went out. The darkness, even gross darkness, the trouble, the despair, the heartache, the pain did not keep Paul from producing begotten. He did not just preach with boldness when the dead were raised and when the blinded eyes were opened. He did not just promote baptisms and outpourings in times of blessing and abandon them in times of weakness. Stay here with me now. The proof of this endurable coin has been imprinted long ago. It is none other than the calling voice of the Holy Spirit upon all of us. Boldness is really not what is known in the light. Anyone can be bold in church. Peter can boast 
all day long when he's in the comfort of his own brethren sitting at dinner breaking bread. But when darkness falls and the timid voice of even one accusing young girl is heard, his whole disposition changes. Paul's boldness wasn't a light switch that turned off and on, but rather he was preaching with the headwinds turned, headwinds turned against him. He was convincing the sinner even when money was meager and friends were few. And yet, if you ask me, then I concur that living for God is easier when you are healthy and there are miracles and there are wonders and signs and money. It's more natural to be thankful when things are happening and things happen to us that we did not expect them. And I agree with you that when the goodness of the Lord shows up in a way that we understand, it's more natural to rejoice. We all share in the common response, placid waters. Always invoke praise. But given the tempest and the swirling wind, when you're in trouble and you're in the storm, you don't really want to rejoice in the Lord. That's why I've got to remind you that the joy of the Lord is your strength. If you're struggling today, this is the day to rejoice in the Lord. If you don't feel happy about what's going on, this is the day to call out, I love you, Lord. I worship you, Lord. You're a great God to me, Lord. When you produce praise, begotten, you'll find power. <laughs> Holy Ghost is talking. Your greatest moment not be, not, might not be when you're full of strength. It might not be when you think you can. In fact, your family hearing and the power that needs to be found might be found in your weak moment when you don't see a way out. <laughs> oh my. Something's going to happen in you. He knows where you're sitting and where you're going through. He, he knows what you're struggling with. You're going to rise up. You're not even going to get out of it. You're just going to rise up in the middle of it. You're about to produce something you didn't think that could come. Paul was no stranger to prison. This is your Bible. Even after he agreed for the sake of unity to give assent to a Jewish vow, he was accosted, he falsely accused, he imprisoned in Jerusalem, just like the prophet Agabus said. He defended himself in Jerusalem, a fight broke out, the Sadducees, Pharisees, a soldier came to his rescue, lest, the Bible says, they pulled him to pieces. There was a plot that night to kill him in prison. It provoked a sympathetic soldier. Happened to be the chief captain. He called two centurions and 200 soldiers and 200 spearmen. And at his bequest and for his safety, Paul was taken to the city of Caesarea, where again he spent two more years in prison. But even in that condition, Paul was testifying to at least two Roman procurators and a king, to Felix and Hephaestus and to Agrippa. He was always producing, whether in peace or in trouble. He was always spreading the gospel. He was convinced that life was meant for the gospel. He didn't think life was meant to get ahead. He didn't think life was meant to climb the corporate ladder or to buy a new truck. 
He didn't think life was meant to take it easy and have enough money to live on and go out a little bit and have a nice vacation. He thought his whole life was meant for the gospel. Nothing else really mattered but the gospel. Doesn't look like he ever sat down in a meal just to shoot the breeze. Every time he broke bread, it was to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ and to spread the gospel. Sometimes the miracles were present and sometimes they were not. But Paul's spiritual walk was not contingent. Can you hear this? It was not contingent upon the outward manifestation of those powerful things. Sometimes there are clear signs and sometimes there is nothing. I've walked with the Lord when there was nothing. I couldn't even find him and there was nothing. But I didn't stop walking just because I couldn't see anything. I just knew he pointed me in a direction and I just had to go. Sometimes I had my head up. Sometimes I had my head down. Just so all of you know, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to open up a secret here, but there have been times I stood at this pulpit and just put my head down and preached the word. I didn't even know if anybody cared. It was a long time ago, but I preached my way through all the trouble and I proclaimed the word of God through all my own anxiety and all my own fear. Cause I was determined to produce something. There had to be a begotten out of me. Sometimes I dance not because I feel good, but because I know that in the middle of my worship and my dance, there's going to come a strength to me. Hold on a second. You're waiting for the Red Sea to open up before you worship. But the Lord says, if you worship, then I'll open it up. Don't let your praise be contingent upon your season. God's greater than your season. And your praise is incumbent upon you. Because I watched you, Larry Bennett, when you lost your son in an unexpected plane crash. And I watched you the next Sunday and the Sunday after that, sitting on the front row, praising God and thanking God. How did you do that? It was a dark season. It's still not right. It may never be right. But I got a word for you. In your praise came your power. In your praise came your authority. going to produce something he yeah yeah oh oh my Oh my. Give me a moment here. I'm sorry. I... The Bible says that at one point, They examined Paul by scourging. They tried to beat the truth out of him. And as they did that, he revealed to them that 
He was a Roman by citizenship. He appealed to Caesar of Rome. And the result of his appeal did not come without pain. His appeal meant a grueling voyage by sea. He was sailing in bonds and shackles with other prisoners. And ultimately he was shipwrecked and found himself floating on the open sea, hanging on to pieces of that splintered ship. And then finally, after months of travel and hardship, he arrived in Rome and the picture of his life becomes ever so clear. I'll be graphic here this morning, but I'll, I'll be careful. Nero was the Caesar of the Roman Empire at the time. He was the last and the worst of all the Caesars. He ruled from about 54 to 68 AD. He was so young when he began. The conditions were relatively uneventful, but then age took over. At first, the governing responsibilities were turned over to Lucius Sinaca, the teacher, and also to the wise Burrus, and there was some peace. But finally, the tiger that was in him tasted blood, and once Nero tasted blood, there was no curbing his appetite. Never before was there two more opposite people thrown into the same cauldron of time than that of Nero and Paul. Compassion never rose higher than it did in Paul's heart. It never sank lower than it did in Nero's. Nero was vicious. He exhausted the catalog of crime. He poisoned his own stepbrother, Britannicus. He divorced, then banished, and finally killed his own wife, Octavia. Papia Sabina was his mistress slave, but in anger and in a fit of rage, he kicked her to death. He turned on his own mother, some say out of paranoia. He executed his own mother. And when a fire finally broke out in the slums of Rome in 64 AD that burned down half the city, rumors had spread that Nero himself had started the fire to clear more land for his own palace. Of course, to relieve himself from the burden of accusation, to save himself from the clamoring crowd, he blamed the Christians for burning the city. And it worked because the Romans already distrusted them. And on the heels of his own lies, he initiated a policy of persecution and he made the slaughter of Christians the purpose of his life. In the end, he died at the tender age of 31 years old and he died by his own hand. But in life, there was no immorality that Nero left unexplored or untouched. Rome was already filled with paganism. It was already accustomed to the excess and debauchery But this Caesar Nero even made Rome blush. No one had ever seen debauchery and persecution wrought upon the human body like what he introduced. The first church called Nero, and I quote, they called him the beast. The Roman historian Tacitus preserved for the world the picture of Nero driving his chariot through the Vatican's gardens, in the night of, in the dark of night, in and out he raced, among the blazing, burning pillars to which he had fastened the tar-wrapped bodies of Christian believers. He burned them alive on the pillars at night to light up the courtyard so he could see. They screamed out in pain. The Roman elite stood shocked at his callous demeanor. It was a spiritual dark time, looming, hovering, lurking around every corner. Such was the nature of the hour in which the house of the emperor Caesar called Nero existed. That was the environment in which the Christians lived. Death at every turn, torture at every draw, fear behind every shadowy shadowy figure and dark corner. 
That was the environment from which Paul wrote at least four epistles. And at the end of the one I read to you, the final benediction, the send-off to the Philippians, he sends salutations. And he says, greetings from the saints in Caesar's household. There were disciples of Jesus Christ living in the darkness and debauchery of the world's most notorious killer. In the middle of it all, there were believers, apostolics, born again people of the water and the spirit. Wait, the original Pentecostals were living in the very headquarters of the beast. Oh, woo. And they prayed and they sang and they embraced the word in an environment that could not have been more worse and more dangerous and more demonic. There were saints in Nero's household and out of that atmosphere they were living for God. So do not tell me how dark America is. Don't tell me that you cannot produce in the darkness of night. If they can do it then, we can do it now. Please don't excuse yourself by saying how bad the world is. If it's dark, that's okay. The light's going to shine better. Where sin abounds, grace is more than a match for all the sin. And and fact, grace always outpaces sin. This is the growing commentary among, among the Pentecostals. Well, it's just so hard today. It's not like it was. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? The world's already, already seen this darkness. They've overcome this darkness. You are the light and the salt. Everywhere you walk, there's a spiritual battle taking place and the devil cannot resist you. You walk into your job on Monday morning. You walk into the store on Tuesday afternoon. You walk into your school this summer. I don't care where you are. You are the power and you have the Holy Ghost and you are the child of the Most High God. Yes. Uh, Paul himself was kept in a private prison during his first imprisonment and then in a hollowed out cave type thing later he was guarded on occasion I suppose he could see a a few friends He, he called for parchment and paper and a coat if possible but if not just just something to write with history tells us that Paul was so focused on why he was there the guards that were assigned to keep him had to be continually rotated lest they would be converted. (laughs) They were repenting of their sins at his door and then running to find someone to baptize them. Paul was converting the very soldiers who had been sent to keep him. He set them free. (laughs) Left long enough. Paul the prisoner started an outreach ministry and never left his cell. Here's the second thing the Lord told me. Your season can never dictate your revival. Now listen, Lord, can you not speak to me like 10 o'clock at night or 8 o'clock in the morning? No, because I have too much on my mind. Let's do this again. All of our seasons are different. But that season never stops you, cannot stop you from producing for the kingdom. If you're weak in in body, you can still produce for the kingdom.
If you're weak in spirit, come on now, you can still produce for the, something's going to come out of that. Trouble is not going to steal your joy. A drought cannot stop the river of life. The environment has no power over the message. Begotten is still the word. If you're waiting for the conditions to be right before you begin, let me tell you, the conditions will never be right. If you're hoping to get yourself together before you make a commitment to the church and to the Lord and to the gospel, you'll never get it together enough. And if you're waiting to gain a little more confidence before you open up your mouth and tell someone about Jesus, there will always be sufficient doubt to keep you bound. (laughs) The environment must not hinder our resolve. Do not tell me that you do not feel worthy enough to teach a Bible study or to worship or to praise or to shout. His call was never contingent upon your ability or how you felt. And his praise is never dependent upon your goodness anyway. You're never going to get good enough to praise and shout and dance and run anyway. If you're waiting to get good enough, you'll be waiting all your life and you'll die regretting that you didn't give God your best. So if you tell me, pastor, but you don't know what I just went through and you don't know the mistakes I've made, I know I don't know. Praise God. He knows, but he's still worthy of your praise. He knows, but he's still saying, come on, everybody. Clap your hands and rejoice. And the joy of the Lord is going to pick you up. I have a little issue with the Pentecostals who think they have it all together. No, you don't have it all together and you're never going to have it all together. You need to out of your mouth say, I I still need you, Lord. I hope you can hear it with your heart and not just with your ears because we cannot profess what we believe and not live out our profession. There's a lot of people that go to churches and they tell you what denomination they are. They have no affiliation with the tenets of that denomination. The tenets of our denomination is the gospel. It's the apostolic doctrine. It is praise and worship. Go back to the Bible and find out how this thing was started. It was started in a fire. It was started with an outpouring Holy Ghost fire. In fact, the first outpouring of the Holy Ghost came with an image and evidence like as a fire resting upon their head. Our profession is only as good as our practice. If this is the truth, then the condition of the world cannot be the deterrent, the deterrent for the truth. And if we are, if we say our world is just too terrible and it's too dark, I remind you this morning that there were saints living in Caesar's household. Those words dismantle every negative voice that tears at the fabric of our spiritual authority. Because greater is he that is in you. Sometimes I feel like I have to apologize for scriptures that we have made trite. Because we sent them to our Sunday school class and the three-year-olds know it and the five-year-olds printed it and the nine-year-olds liked it. And we get to, we get to the adult session and we forgot what it really meant. Greater is he that is in you. 
Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Pause a little bit. It's not elementary. It's for all the grown up mature people that understand God is in you. He's greater than he that's in the world. He's greater. He's powerful. He has authority. Wait a second. I feel to peel this back a little bit. It did not say you are greater. It said he is greater. It didn't say you are better. It says he's the greatest. So stop considering yourself because it wasn't about you. It's about what is inside of you. The hope of glory. Feel the Holy Ghost in this house because in the middle of your drought, in the middle of your storm, something's coming out of you. There's a praise about to erupt in you. Can, let's just get real. I, let's get real and genuine. Church folks go through mental duress depression and anxiety even after they leave church let's get real you can be faithful and still go through anxiety and trouble and heartache and pain you can be in the middle of a big crowd and feel all alone and the enemy can come and attack you Even while the word of faith is being presented to you. And while I'm preaching, there's an opposing voice saying, it's not about you, but you can't do that. That's not for you. That's for other people. Don't think the word ever comes forth without a rebuttal in the spirit in the same hour. Because when Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I think there was a little voice in the background of the devil saying, me too. I ain't leaving you either. I'm going to bug you. I'm going to nag you. I'm going to be on your back. I'm going to accuse you falsely. I'm going to bring you down at every turn. I'm going to try to trip you up every time. But greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. you got power you know not of. you got authority in the Holy Ghost. And when the devil tries to come against you, you say in the name of Jesus, I plead the blood over my mind and over my heart and over my spirit and over my home and over my family. Don't misinterpret what I'm saying. I'm tired of the devil. But the devil is good at being the devil. He's good at his job. He marks all the boxes. He's been working at his job for 6,000 years. But he's still inept to the name that's been applied to your life. Let me just help you now. In your lowest state mentally and your weakest state spiritually and your weakened state physically. Can we not admit that? Come on, you ever just get tired? I'm not talking about being sick and tired. That, that's an emotional problem. 
I've been sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm just talking about being tired, being wore out. Being wore out. But at your lowest point, when the convergence of all those things happen, you are still more powerful than all the devils in hell. <laughs> and I know that the same Jesus who saved and cared for the saints in Nero's household is the same Jesus that cares for you and your household. Because no matter how dark your day is or how bleak the hour becomes, he gave us power. Here's the third thing the Lord told me. The location and the time is always inferior to the one who sent you. The place is always subservient to the mission. When your own home is in disarray and you feel weary in mind and body, that's the time you can produce a praise unlike any other time in your life. Because that's when you start praising him, not out of your abundance, but you praise him from your want. Ah. Ah. I feel the I feel the spirit speaking I'll end here even in prison Paul was converting and preaching and transforming lives I I see the exampleship of the man he kept talking, preaching, and ministering. And we even know one of the men that he converted. Historically, we know that the name of one of the guards or helpers to them, his name was Onesimus. He was a fugitive slave that took a job in a Roman house. He, he had once robbed his master in Asia Minor. He, to get away, he went to Rome. It was the largest city in the region, perhaps Onesimus thought he could escape by drifting off into obscurity. He was hoping just to disappear. He robbed his, the man that had rule over him. And now it looks like he's part of Nero's legions, a soldier or house. We catch him in real time, taking his shift in some way before the prisoner named Paul. But the man that he robbed... His name was Philemon, and there was a church in Philemon's house. Paul had preached once there. Think of that. Think of the things that God will orchestrate just to save one never-dying soul. We cannot even imagine the things that God will do to put us into a certain place, a particular job, a location, just so we can rescue someone from their impending peril. Paul had preached at the church in Philemon's house. He can, and in Rome, he converted Onesimus to the gospel because God thought it so critical that in his omniscience, this single chapter letter was included in the Holy Writ Philemon right after Titus, right before Hebrews. Paul, the prisoner, was converting a thief, a deserter. He writes back to his friend Philemon. Onesimus had betrayed Philemon. Paul entreats him to restore this runaway servant hundreds and hundreds of miles away. Onesimus has run headlong, however, into the voice of Paul, the apostle, in a prison cell in Rome. 
and more powerfully than I could ever convey. Pay attention. Paul writes the one line that has become the plight of my ministry. I beseech thee for my son Onesimus. Whom I have begotten in my bonds. When I was bound up. And I couldn't move. When I was struggling in my spirit. I thought I was at the lowest point. I'm going to bring something out in that moment. I'm going to produce some kind of praise in my dark hour. I'm going to shout to God when there's no reason to shout. I'm going to be God. Someone's going to be gotten in my bonds. Hear me, ladies and gentlemen. Even if you are low and when you get down low. And you think you ought to be in a better place. There is a. There is a product. There is a ministry. There is a praise. There is a giving. Giving. There is an offering. Hey, mom and dad. Hey, mom and dad. You're struggling with your son. Mom and dad, you're struggling with your son. And you don't have the answer. Wife, you're struggling with your husband. Mother, you're struggling with your children. Today, the joy of the Lord is going to be your strength. I don't want you even looking for the answers. I want you looking for the one. That you need. I want you to rise up. I wish I could preach longer. I want you to rise up from where you are and begin to give God praise and produce out of your mouth and out of your spirit. Ah. Don't wait for the details. Now is the time. Come on, mother. You want your sons and your daughters. You want them to be saved. And you pray for them to be saved. But today is the day you're going to rejoice in the God of your Savior. Speak it out of your mouth. Speak it out of your mouth. Speak that praise out of your mouth. You don't feel like it, but forget about how you feel. The Lord is on your side. And out of the bond comes something you cannot produce when you are free. Come on, speak it out of your mouth. Let the Holy Ghost flow out of your spirit. Let the Holy Ghost, something's coming out of that drought. Something's coming in the middle of that. Yay!
You're a few steps away from it now. Come on. You're a few steps away from it. Get hungry for God. Get hungry for God. The byproduct of your praise is going to be the answer that you need.